Hey, everybody. Welcome to Mailing It, the official podcast of the United States Postal Service. I'm Dale Parsan. And I'm Carla Kirby. As you may know, the first week of March is National Consumer Protection Week. The Federal Trade Commission set up this event back in 1998 as a way to educate people about their rights as consumers. The Postal Service takes consumer fraud prevention very seriously. And our Postal Inspection Service works year-round to educate people about how to avoid becoming victims of different kinds of scams. In this episode, Dale and I are talking to Andrea Avery, the Assistant Postal Inspector in Charge of Communications, about National Consumer Protection Week and this year's special focus on romance or sweetheart scams. Andrea, welcome to Mailing It. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Andrea, before we get into our conversation about National Consumer Protection Week and specifically fraud prevention, I would be great if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. I understand that you're a second-generation postal worker and that your mother was a postmaster uh, over in Minnesota. Did you grow up thinking you'd work for the Postal Service? I did not. Um, So my mom was a postmaster in Minnesota from 1985 to 2013. And so I literally grew up in the post office. (laughs) My brother and I would go to the post office every day after school to see her and say hi. We talked about the post office at dinner and we went on trips with other postal families. So it was definitely a thing in my life, but I never thought this is what I want to do. So when I was going to college and then in law school, I started looking into federal law enforcement as a career choice. I thought it was really interesting. I liked the investigative side of things. And I started, I was looking to apply and my mom said, well, why don't you apply to be a postal inspector? And the crazy thing is she'd never talked about postal inspectors before. So I was just like everybody else across the country. I had no idea that they even (laughs) existed or what they did. So I started doing some research and I looked into it and it just it just clicked. It made sense. It combined my interest in investigations and federal law enforcement with this this postal service that had always been a part of my life and the loyalty that I have being a postal kid. And it just made sense. And have not looked back since. I'm a little jealous I never had a moment like that. Yes. Great. <laughs> it was good. So, Andre, you've been with the Postal Inspection Service since 2005. What was your job like when you joined, and how has it changed since then? Oh, that was a long time ago. <laughs> so, from our academy in Maryland, once I graduated, I got sent to Alaska. And I worked up there for six years, and my worldview was very small. It was just Alaska. So we were very focused on mail theft and drugs in the mail and then also alcohol in the mail, which is pretty unique across the country. We were the only office that worked that. But that's where I really got into prevention and education and giving presentations at retirement communities and post offices about you know fraud prevention, mail theft prevention, all that kind of stuff. And so I moved to, after six years, I decided I wanted sunshine. And so I looked at the map and I said, where, where get, where do we get the most sun? And Las Vegas came to mind. So I moved there and really the scope of the investigations didn't change. It was still mail theft. It was still drugs in the mail. And then it was fraud, but it was just on a bigger scale than it was in Alaska. But I also continued to do my consumer protection and uh, education work with uh, community groups with uh, HOAs and at post offices. So doing the same National Consumer Protection Week pushes, all that kind of stuff. Um, and that's also where I started doing public information officer work. So I would go on TV and talk about some of these things. And then after six years in Las Vegas, I was still enjoying what I was doing, but I wanted to do more. So I thought about ways to use my skills and experiences to help more people. 
I started looking for promotional opportunities, and I saw one at headquarters for the National Public Information Officer. And I put in for it. I was a successful candidate, and that was five years ago. And then two years ago, another promotional opportunity came up to basically manage that position and all of the other positions under the communications team. I was the successful applicant for that as well. And so now as the assistant postal inspector in charge, I oversee all of the communications group. So my team does all of the internal and external communications for the organization. Holy smokes. Okay. So it sounds like you're, you're been all around the place for the inspection service, which is great, great for us specifically as we, we talk about these items. But if you had to pick one thing that you really liked most about working for the Postal Inspection Service, what would that be? One of the coolest things about the Postal Service is that everyone gets mail. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter where you live, how much money you make. Everyone gets the mail. And as a postal inspector, we protect all of that. We protect the mail. We protect the employees who get it from point A to point B, and we protect the customers. And one of the ways we do that, one of the ways that I'm passionate about is prevention and education. So crime prevention and education, how to keep people from becoming victims of crime. We can't arrest everyone, but we can make people smarter and we can make them more aware. We know that fraud prevention is a very important part of the inspection services work. In fact, In a previous podcast, we spoke with the Inspection Service about the dangers of work-from-home scams, which was the focus of last year's National Consumer Protection Week. Before we start talking about this year's theme, which is romance scams, could you tell us a little bit more about the National Consumer Protection Week and its purpose? Yes. So National Consumer Protection Week was started in 1998, and it's driven by the FTC. But it is one week a year that is dedicated to informing and educating customers. It brings multiple agencies together with a shared voice about one topic. So this kind of thing is even more important now in the digital age. It is easier for scammers to reach people. It doesn't matter where you live. A scammer can get to you through your phone, through your email, through whatever. And the other thing about the Internet is it provides anonymity to scammers. So they can be whoever they want to be. And it's, it makes it really hard for us to catch them. The best way to combat online fraud is to educate people. That is our best weapon. If they know, they won't fall victim to these schemes. And NCPW is a great way to promote this shared message to everyone. Absolutely. Safety, safety of the mail, safety for our customers. That kind of work is nothing new to the Postal Inspection Service. No, it's not. So postal inspectors have been protecting consumers ever since the mail fraud statute was passed back in 1872. So we've been doing this a while. Um, Our primary responsibilities as postal inspectors are protecting the over 600,000 employees that the Postal Service has, as well as protecting our customers. And one of the ways we do that is using crime prevention and consumer education. National Consumer Protection Week, it may only be a week, but Postal Inspection Service advocates for prevention all year long. So tell us a little bit about this year's schemes. I'm familiar with catfishing, but when we talk about romance or sweetheart scams, what does that entail? So romance scams have pretty much been around forever, but it is even worse now with the internet, social media, and dating apps. People everywhere are looking for connections, whether romantic or otherwise. We all want to be connected to someone. And scammers capitalize on this. They they use the internet, social media, dating sites to forge these intense connections with people quickly. And they express their love and commitment early on. So you really feel like you're in a relationship. And then they use that connection to request money. It could be because they need a 
last minute surgery or there's something going on in their life, like their roof is leaking or their car broke down and they need it to get to, they needed to get to work or there's something wrong with their family. Maybe their kid has an emergency or they want to come visit you. They want to be together with you finally. And but they don't have the money. So they ask for money. like, Hey, can you just send this amount of money so I can take care of this problem? And then that'll make it that much easier for us to be together down the road. And because you're in love, you, you think that this is the, this is the person of your dreams. You send them money. You want to help them. You want to take care of them. Once you send that money, it'll go one of two ways. Either you will never hear from them again, or they will continue to come up with reasons to ask for more money. It's always something. So you will never get to meet them in person. You will never get to see them. They will just string you along as long as they can to get as much money as they can. This sounds like something out of a horror film for Hollywood. I I think we can all agree this is pretty awful, but uh, how does the Postal Inspection Service fit in here, right? Does does the mail get involved somehow? So going back to my earlier point about how the mail touches everyone, I mean, that's that's where we come in. Any crime involving the mail is under the jurisdiction of the Postal Inspection Service. And in these scams specifically, the mail is usually used to send checks, money orders, or gift cards from the from the victim to the scammer. So I would imagine the victims could be any age, whether it's young people looking to connect online or older people struggling with loneliness. Right. It could be targets of romance scammers can be from all age groups, could be anyone. It could be any one of us sitting here. According to the FTC, reports about romance scams increased for every age group in 2021. The increase was actually most striking for people from ages 18 to 29. They're they're young. They think that they're pretty savvy on the Internet. Yeah. And, you know, they think they're invincible. So they get scammed. For this age group, the number of reports increased more than tenfold from 2017 to 2021. That's pretty striking. But uh, veterans and active military personnel are also frequent targets. But the primary victim group are predominantly older, widowed, or divorced women. They are, for the most part, computer literate and educated, but they're also emotionally vulnerable. They're easy targets. So walk us through this, right? Uh, how, does, how do these types of scams unfold? Give us a real-world example if you can. Oh, there are plenty to choose from, <laughs> but let's, let's talk about one of them. So an 80-year-old man with Alzheimer's was contacted through an online dating site by someone claiming to be a younger woman. After making the connection, the woman starts asking him for money. First, she needs the money for breast cancer surgery. Then she asks him for help buying a car. Then she wanted money to fix up her house. Finally, she says that she needs more money so she can pay off all of her debt, leave her job, and finally be with him. I mean, that's what, that's what he was going for. In the end, the victim was swindled out of more than $2 million. What? Yes. Jeez. Yes. And the scam came to light only after the victim's son found out about it and reported it. So I got to ask, $2 million. And I'm assuming there are hundreds of cases like this every year. Just how big of a problem are these romance scams? In the past five years, people have reported losing a staggering $1.3 billion to romance scams, more than any other FTC fraud category. So it's a pretty big deal. The numbers have skyrocketed in recent years, and 2021 was no exception. The reported losses hit a record $547 million for the year. That's more than six times the reported losses in 2017, and nearly an 80% increase compared to 2020. So... I think a lot of that probably had to do with COVID. We were isolated. We weren't talking to people. We weren't interacting. And people are lonely. So they're reaching out the only way they can through the internet. 
the median individual reported loss in 2021 was $2,400. So it wasn't that big of an amount. But as we as we talked about before, it can go up to $2 million. The reported median loss increased with age. People 70 and older reported the highest individual median losses at 9000 compared to 750 for the 18 to 29 age group. Of course, you know, depending on how much money you have in the bank, yeah. that kind of drives how much money you could potentially lose in these scams. This is this is terrifying uh, to even talk about, but these things don't happen overnight, right? So what are some of the warning signs that a person might be caught up in a, in a romance scam? So there are a few. Um, someone you know only online professes their love, even though you've never met them face to face. Your online romantic partner has a sudden emergency or medical issue and fi- needs your financial help. This comes out of nowhere. You have no idea and it just pops out of nowhere. Hey, I need money. Can you help me? You may be asked to send or receive money or packages. That's kind of a thing. Uh, and then you may notice spelling or grammar mistakes in their messages or the name that they give you doesn't match the name of their email address. So they say their name is John Smith and their email address is alexdoe at gmail.com. That kind of will raise a red flag. You mentioned uh, that this might not just be money. They may be asked to send packages or receive packages. What's all that about? So sometimes they'll ask for an intermediary to protect them from becoming um, a target of an investigation. So if if they put a third party in the middle between a, a bad act, so if they're using a stolen credit card to order goods, they want to put somebody in the middle to protect them from being the... From being the person directly at fault. Right, right. So uh, in this example, you'd have, you know, let's say the evil person um, using something like a stolen credit card or stolen funds to purchase something. They send it to uh, our victim's address and says, hey, can you just forward this along to me? Yes. Wow. Yes. And then they will say, can you can you repackage it? Can you throw a new packaging label on it and then send it to me? So the bad guy is cleared of all these things. There's no tie between the bad guy and the credit card. But there is now a tie between the bad or the credit card and the victim. So we will start investigating the victim thinking that they're the bad guy and they're not. Don't send money. Don't agree to re-forward packages. Right. Good Don't gosh. deposit any checks. Don't deposit any checks. I do know people who've been a victim of that. Yes. Wait, depositing checks. Right. So they'll and so Andre, you you let us know. It's they send you a check and they may say, Hey, I just need help. I'm having issues with my bank. Deposit the check. You can keep five hundred mm-hmm. and then send me the other forty five hundred. Right. So and then you find out the check is bogus, but you've already deposited in your account. And the bank is holding you liable for the entire 5000 Right. You are responsible for anything that you put into your account. So, you know, sitting from the safety of, of the studio that we're in right now, it, it makes me feel like, yeah, no, I would notice these things. But in the moment when you're, when you're caught up in love, when you're caught up in this idea that you're helping somebody who's close to you, I mean, I can see it. Right. And sometimes it's like a sweepstakes. Or anything. It may not just be love. But I digress. (laughs) We're talking about love here. So how much do we know about the people that are behind these scams? And do they have a particular profile? So many of these operations are run by criminal groups outside of our country. Um, A lot of them come from Nigeria. Although not every romance scam is run by Nigerians, the research and investigative outcomes show that the vast majority are, whether they are physically located in Nigeria or are Nigerians operating within our borders. So it is, and it's their full-time job. This is all they do. So that's why they are so good at it. 
So how often are these cases solved? We talk about how often it happens, but how often are they solved? And what kind of penalties do these scammers face when caught? So one recent example is uh, in January, a Texas woman got sentenced to six and a half years in prison for defrauding senior citizens of more than $2.6 million. So she created a bunch of businesses in her own name and in the names of her aliases. So she took fake names and created businesses. And then she opened multiple bank accounts and fake IDs. And then over five weeks in 2018, she collected and deposited over $1.2 million into these bank accounts that she controlled and created using fake names. She pleaded guilty in September to wire fraud and mail fraud conspiracy. And she has to return the $1.2 million to her victims and forfeit, get this, a Bentley, a Mercedes, two Rolex washes, cash, money orders, jewelry, and three firearms that were found at her house. When we look at these types of scams, what makes them so difficult for victims to see through? As Dale pointed out, you know, as we sit here and we think about it, we're like, "Ah, we'll never fall for anything like that. So what is it (laughs) that gets these victims? Well, one thing is, I mentioned it earlier, this is is a scammer's full-time job. So this is all they're doing. And they're taking a shotgun approach. They're just hitting a bunch of people and seeing what sticks. But the people that it sticks to, they're they're targeted for a reason. The scammers choose people who are socially isolated and vulnerable. I mean, we all know when we're not feeling good about ourselves or when we're not feeling good about where we are in our lives, it's it's easy to just cling on to whatever seems positive. Under times of stress, people of all ages tend to make decisions based on their emotions as opposed to thoughtful reasoning. The stress brought on by divorce, the death of a loved one, um, if your health is declining, if there was a change in your job situation where you're making less money or you even lost your job. Under all of these circumstances, even educated professionals can make hasty and questionable decisions. Um, And the scammers, they are good at what they do. They use specific language that will appeal to somebody on an emotional level. So it's not just the small talk. It is it is getting deep and it is getting like serious. They're building profiles on these individuals to make sure they keep up with it. Yes. I mean, gone are the days where you just get a random email saying, hey, I'm a prince from this foreign country. Uh, You know, I need to give somebody five billion dollars. Send me your bank details. This is insane. Right. It's it's a full time actually researching victims. They're taking notes. Every every conversation, every back and forth with you, they're taking notes. So every little thing that you're saying, they're writing down. They're they're making sure that they have that information and they'll build off of that. It it is they are very good at it. And you think about it, just innocently, you can give out a ton of information about yourself without even trying. Especially if somebody is engaged and they're listening to you and they're asking pointed questions that get you talking. If you aren't used to talking or if you aren't used to being seen, like that makes you feel special and you will say everything to this person. So they'll use these targeted, like specific language to get people to talk. And then they'll use attractive photographs that they found online Mm. and they will pretend that they are that person. And there are a ton of those out there. So, so you're falling for this idea of this person in this photograph. And not you have no idea what they look like. And how I said earlier that they're very good at what they do, they use well-rehearsed scripts to make themselves sound convincing. For the online con artists, the use of persuasive language is how they engage and manipulate their victims. They are first-class manipulators. 
So let, let's take a shift here from the doom and gloom of this aspect, and let, let's get back to prevention. What are some ways that our listeners and, and other members of the community can protect themselves? Right. So it's not foolproof, but one thing is to only communicate through whatever platform you're using. If it's a dating site, if it's a social media platform, just keep it on that platform until you know for sure that this is the person, this person is real and they're exactly who they say they are. That helps prevent people from getting your personal information. So you're not giving out a phone number. You're not giving out an address. You're not giving out a location, all of that stuff. Try to check the person out by searching for them online and on social media. The same way I just described how they do, they take notes and they make sure that they know everything about you. Do the same thing to the person that you're meeting online. Get their name, get their last name, find out where they live, what they do, what their phone number is. And you can do the same thing and research them to make sure that they're a real person. Compare any of that information that the person gave you to what you find out about them online. So in in essence, become your own little investigator. Uh, you can also do a reverse image search of any photos that you have of them. And I've done that myself. And I've found out, oh, okay, this is not who I thought oh, I was. Oh, no. Yes, yes. So I've done that. It works. Um, also, Google their email address to see if a scam pops up. Sometimes they're pretty prolific. And so you can put in a, an email address and it will come up because people have dealt with this person before. Um a good good rule of thumb in any situation, never move more quickly in the relationship than you feel comfortable with. Always proceed doing what you're comfortable with and don't go to the next level until you're ready. Uh, we also recommend keeping your web camera off at all times. Some scammers will take compromising digital pictures of their victims and use them for blackmail. Sometimes they'll just gather more personal information based on what they can see in on their cameras. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've been on Zoom calls for work and people will say, oh, hey, is that a certain lamp in your background? Or, oh, hey, I like your couch. <laughs> and you just wonder, what are you looking at? Why are you? What? I didn't think you could see that. Say, focus on me. Focus on me. Virtual backgrounds, guys. Right. <laughs> so so think about, like, you don't think about what's in the background. Yeah. And you, I mean, you know that it's not, you, you know you shouldn't take a Zoom call in your bedroom or in the bathroom or whatever. But you don't think about the other personal stuff that you have behind you. Um, don't provide any personal information or take your relationship out of the dating site until you've actually met in person and can confirm they are who they say they are. So one of the problems that you pointed out was some people just have a hard time knowing that they've been scammed. How can people help protect their family and friends? So this is important. I mean, we all need to take care of each other. We all need to look out for people. Uh, be especially attentive towards family and friends who are recently divorced or lost, lost a loved one. So anybody who finds themselves socially isolated when they hadn't been before, pay attention to them. Talk to them about safe ways to engage in online connections, especially if it's somebody who's just recently joining the online dating groups or joining social media for the first time. Like, sit them down and have a conversation about safe things to do. I mean, we've all seen people post way too much personal information on social media. So have these conversations and make sure that they understand that it's not private. It, everything is out there. Uh, make sure they know how to conduct an online background check of anyone they might meet while on dating sites or visiting chat rooms. Again, become your own little investigator. Protect yourself. Be alert to flowers or inexpensive gifts accumulating in the homes of friends and family members who might be vulnerable to an online romance scam. I mean, if you start going to somebody's house and you start seeing all these little trinkets come out and there's nothing else that's been said about a new person in their lives or anything like that, it's time to start asking questions. 
answer the phone while you're visiting a family member or a loved one to get a sense of what types of calls that are coming into their homes. And then volunteer to review their finances with them and question suspicious payments or large withdrawals. This is an uncomfortable conversation to have, especially with an aging parent, but it needs to be done because they might not realize that they're being scammed. Let's talk about another aspect here, and I think we've touched on it on previous podcasts when we've uh, when we've had your group in with us. Let's talk about embarrassment. Yes. Right. Uh, this is something where maybe you're scammed out of a small small amount of money, in your opinion, maybe just you know a hundred dollars or, or something around there that maybe like okay, this is a one time thing. Let's move on. But it's indicative that this could keep happening. They could come back for more. Like you said, they could you know identify ways to blackmail you in some ways. It's hard for people to admit for any problem that they have that they have a problem, whether it's personally, whether it's somebody else affecting them. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? That is one of the the biggest hurdles that we see in situations like this is, especially with older Americans, they don't want to admit that they have been taken. They don't want to admit that somebody took advantage of them. And it's it's a struggle as the caregiver or as the child of an aging parent. You have to give them the space and try not to be judgmental about their actions or whatever they've done and just help them to move forward from this. But if it is you as the individual who has been taken, it isn't it is embarrassing to you. But you're not the only person that it happens to. I mean, we've just we've talked about how many billions of dollars in losses there have been across the country. You're not the only victim. And the more that you talk about it, the more it brings awareness to situations like this. And the more that that other people realize that, hey, oh, oh, this just happened to me, too. Oh, I'm glad that I didn't send them money or I'm glad I didn't do these things. So you can protect other people by talking about it. You can also help us investigate these crimes. We can't, we're not miracle workers. We can't investigate crimes we don't know about. So the more people who report these things, the more data we have, the better chances we have to catch the bad guys. So on that topic of reporting, if someone thinks that they or someone they know have been a victim of, of a fraud, what are, some, what, what are some things that they can do about that? How can they get help? Well, one of the first things we say is if you've been targeted or fallen victim to a scam, talk about it. Tell a family member or a friend. I mean, that, it's a really tough thing to go through as a victim. And it's easier to do it with somebody else at your side. Um, also, we want you to file a report. Tell somebody. We just talked about this. Tell somebody. If it involves mail, report it to the postal inspectors at USPIS.gov, or you can call our toll-free number 877-876-2455. A lot of our tips and complaints come through our website. So that's a really good, that's a really good way to do it. And then um, our investigations start with reports. So we need to know about the crime before we can start. It's like you said, you're not miracle workers. If you right. don't know what's happening, you right. can't look into it. Exactly. So we've talked about some of the inspection services efforts on, you know, trying to prevent this. What is being done on a larger scale to help cut down on these types of scams? There are a lot of agencies doing a lot of good work. Uh, consumer advocates are working with researchers and law enforcement officers like postal inspectors to more fully understand, one, why are romance scammers so successful? Like what makes what makes this work for them? And then two, who is at risk? I mean, we talked about all of these people who could potentially be at risk, but really how are they identifying their victims? And then what interventions from family, from friends, and from the community are most effective to keep the victim from falling victim again. 
Uh, we continue to spread the word about these and other types of scams through our website, USPIS.gov, through our public service announcement videos, and through social media. So we're all trying to get the word out. Andre, this was a great opportunity to, to learn a little bit more about your organization as well as educate our audience about potential new scams that are popping up. Oh, thank you for having me. This was fantastic. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. A lot of great information, and we hope our listeners can benefit from that. Now it's time for this episode's Did You Know?, which reveals some lesser-known facts about the Postal Service. I think I'll start this one off. Dale, did you know the Postal Service has a long history of having its own letter carrier brass bands and marching bands? I don't really follow marching bands. I'll have to say I wasn't aware of this. Well, then I'll just have to fill you in. The first of these bands was organized in Chicago in 1891. In 1892, the Chicago Letter Carriers Band played at the National Convention of the National Association of Letter Carriers, which was held in Indianapolis. Inspired by the Chicago Letter Carriers, within weeks, the Indianapolis Carriers formed their own band. And in the next few years, the Letter Carrier Band craze swept the U.S. from New York all the way to San Francisco. What kind of events did they play at? I imagine it would be mostly Postal Service functions. The letter carriers' bands played at city events and celebrations and, of course, at National Association of Letter Carrier Conventions, where many of the bands would join the letter carrier parade at the beginning of the convention. They would also give concerts to raise money for uniforms, new instruments, or trips to future letter carrier conventions. They sometimes also played at employees' weddings, too. That's pretty cool. Uh, Mine, did you know, is also music themed. Carla, did you know that postal employees formed a number of singing groups over the years? In the 1950s and 60s, for example, a group of postal workers from the Miami area joined together as the Singing Mailmen of Miami and were later adopted as a voice of the post office department. At first, they got together to sing for their own enjoyment, but after a while they began to sing at post office events, local events, and even nursing homes. By 1960, They had garnered national interest, and the post office department adopted them as their official spokesgroup. Not bad for a bunch of guys who started out singing for themselves. Apparently, in postal service circles anyways, they got pretty famous. They released an album entitled Neither Snow Nor Rain. They even became popular enough to be featured on a primetime television program called Sing Along with Mitch, where they sang their theme song, Men with the U.S. Mail. Obviously, these guys were good at staying on message. In 1961, they made a trip to various radio stations around the United States to promote the Postal Service's Shop and Mail Early campaign during the Christmas season. In 1963, they made a similar goodwill tour up and down the East Coast to promote the use of the zip code. And that wraps up this segment of Did You Know? Carla, I gotta say, I am astonished with how intricate these scams are getting. I know we've talked about it in the past on the podcast, but from just mail fraud to now romance scams, it's pretty scary how insane the world's getting. Absolutely. You have to be skeptical about just about everything now, making sure you're not getting scammed. And we definitely want to make sure that people know how to report those scams. So anything revolving the mail as 
Andrea mentioned, you want to report that to USPIS.gov, or you can call the toll-free number at 1-877-876-2455. And that's all for this episode of Mailing It. Don't forget to subscribe to Mailing It wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss the next episode. And follow along on Instagram at U.S. Postal Service, Twitter at USPS, and on Facebook. Facebook.